0: You're listening to the Scaling Culture podcast where we sit down with thought leaders who share their experiences building incredible workplace cultures. Matt Sims is the CEO of Simplicity Designs, the president of United Sign and Trimline, and has equity interests in sectors as diverse as online education, geospatial scanning, biotech, and real estate. Over the last eight years, Matt has worked with more than 400 organizations leading transformational changes in workplace culture. And most recently, during the COVID-19 pandemic, Simplicity and Matt emerged as a common voice for more than 2,000 leaders. Today, Matt talks about the change management process and how to effectively bring teams through large-scale organizational change.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Scaling Culture Podcast. I got a big smile on my face uh, as I'm looking at Matt Sims. Matt, welcome. Thank you, sir. How are you doing? I'm doing really good. Uh, So, Matt, look, before we get started, I wanted to to talk quickly and I guess point out, you know, we're both an entrepreneur's organization. I think that's how we know each other originally, Um, and when this pandemic hit, I haven't seen You know, you talk about pivoting and and different things that businesses have done. What you guys did is, it seems from what I saw, you stopped everything and said, how do we help companies? Like, we are stopping what we're doing and we are focusing on helping companies. And, geez, you guys have done that, not only a phenomenal job, but you did it in every way. It wasn't just help companies. It's one thing. It was if you needed help with cash, if you needed help with strategy, execution, it was just really nice to see, you know, a company as well versus you guys taking that, putting that much effort and being, I'll call it selfless in a time of chaos to say, Hey, we are going to be spending lots of effort uh, on this stuff. So look, thanks so much uh, from myself and and obviously other entrepreneurs, you've had probably thousands of people get into your webinars now. And so, so thanks for that.
2: Appreciate that Ron. It was, uh, it was, It was a moment where there was a lot of uncertainty, and if there's one thing that we've done over the last decade is we've helped companies navigate uncertainty. Now, Mm -hmm. normally the market's not in complete chaos. Normally it's the company in chaos, but when both the market and the company are in chaos, uh, it it creates an environment of, of stress and so mm-hmm. you need to bring that way down if you're going to get any sort of creative solution. And so we just tried to provide a guiding voice for people to say, we've yeah. been through variations of this before. Let's let's slow it down. Let's figure out why we exist and, and, and let's get through this and let's mm-hmm. get through this together. You know, yeah. um, the only thing I'll say is most economies are built on the backs of small and micro businesses right. who really can't afford the type of help that the uh, richer organizations can get. And so that's why we just said, this is ridiculous. Throw the paywall away. Let's, let's help who can be helped and let's go.
3: And
1: Matt, can you give just an overview quickly of what simplicity does and like the why behind the company? I know you have a powerful one.
2: Yeah. I mean, we, we started our organization about a decade ago to make the world a better place, one organization at a time. Uh, and you know, that, that makes some people roll their eyes and I really don't care. That's not for them. It's for us. Right. Uh, we select right. who we work with on that. We we want to sustainably build a better future uh, mm. for this region and for this world. Uh, business doesn't have to be a zero sum game. It can be uh, much more to many people, and that's what mm-hmm. we've tried to do.
1: Yeah, great, love it, Matt. And you know, it's interesting. Today, you know, we're going to take a deep dive into change management. And when we were talking about this topic. You were the first guy that came to mind. You know, I know that that is a big piece of what you guys do. You enter an organization, you and, I, and I'm speaking for you, you kind of triage, do your thing, figure out where they need to get to. So yeah. I wanted to dive deep into that. You cool?
2: Yeah, sure. Absolutely. All right. yeah.
1: So before you take on a client and before you get into, to, you know, someone's reached out and said, look, we have a problem here. What are the things that you need to know about this customer before you go in, before you even take it on? You must have barriers of entry.
2: Yeah. So the, the first thing is, is, does the leader have a growth mindset? Right. Um, and, and, and
1: sorry, Matt, how do you find that out? How do you know if I,
2: well, you just have that? to ask a few questions. Uh, the, the, the first thing, like, are they talking about people being good or not good at things? Are they talking about, are, do they come at it with a, with, with a mindset of good and could be better, uh, and an improvement mindset, or do they come at it with a fixed mindset of, you know, you just are this way and, you know, and, and you can, you can, you can spot it by just asking them about the last couple of problems. And if right. they describe it through people who were unable to perform, it's going to be pretty hard to help that leader.
1: So if they deflected, if they said, not my problem, the organization can't perform. Yeah. And what's the right answer?
2: Well, the, the right answer is we, we've got this hurdle. We just can't seem to get over it's and we And right. it's a we, mm. and it's also a, a blaming of the ways we're doing things, not the who is doing things.
3: Right, right, right. Yeah. So, you
2: know, and that's, that's not, it, it's, it's a tough mindset to get to because we're mm-hmm. programmed as humans to try and find somebody responsible for the problem and right. we want to hold people accountable to the result. Well, that's all well and good, but it, you know, it's not going to help you in improvement.
1: Yeah, of course. So once you get there, so, you, you know, I'm a customer, you say, okay, Ron seems to have a growth mindset. What? How do you enter an organization? What's the process look like? How do you start to build trust? Because you must—it can't just be you're going to deal deal with me. Do you have an icebreaker? What does that look like when you come <laughs> in? Yeah.
2: I mean, there, there's there, there's a thousand there's a thousand ways to enter an organization, but the first one is to authentically listen to what they're trying to create. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, there, there's. There's a total, if you're trying to create a very profitable $1.5 million business that serves a distinct market in a region, that's totally different than trying to build a $25 million company that serves multi-value streams, multi-businesses. So it, it can't be what I want for the organization. It has to be what they want. And the only way you get there is by having them describe the future state they want to have.
1: And what that, is the ideal future? What are you looking for? Right?
2: That's it. That's and it. Do
1: you, you have to agree with that or not? You're like, okay, great. Let's go. Uh,
2: well, I don't have to agree with it, but I have to be that shockproof shit detector yeah. for them that mm-hmm. says, you know, that's nice, but we are, we are ages away from that, right? Mm-hmm. We're miles away from that. Or, or I have to ask them, do you really want that? Do you want that? Cause someone else wants it for you? Or do you really want it?
1: Mm, why do you want this?
2: Right. I mean, Ron, you know that the difference between a $1.5 million business and a $5 million business and then a $100 million business. Those are totally different problems, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And most entrepreneurs we work with haven't defined success for them and the result of that is that they've created chaotic and often diverging visions of their business. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you you wanna dive deep on change, you you better first dive deep on what you're trying to build as an individual and get clear on that. Mm -hmm. And then how your organization is going to enable that. Where do you want to take that organization?
1: Mm, Yeah, I love that. And so once you get through that, that sounds like a a really uh, in-depth first step. What are some initial barriers? So we get through that. What are the barriers that you see as you go in? So now I've said, look, the future looks like this. This is what I want. Help me get there. Boom. Come on in.
2: Yeah. So then we just, we, we get with the team and we solidify that this is the future. This is where we're headed. And then we have a very robust conversation around what's the gap between Sorry, where we want to go and where we are.
1: When you say team, your team, their team,
2: both. Okay. You you, you need the leadership team in, uh, okay. but I'll, I'll take away what they want to do. And you know, we we've worked with over four hundred organizations in the mm-hmm. last in the last decade. I, you know, if if something isn't passing the sniff test, we're going to have an honest conversation about that. Yeah. But let let's say the vision is you, yeah. you can achieve most things. So let's say we can get there. Okay, great. So what's the gap? Now we're starting to chart the journey because if you want to lead change, the, the, the most important thing is to create a gap between where you want to go and where you are.
1: Create a gap. Or you mean identify like here's, yeah, here's create
2: what's... the entirety of the gap. What's the, okay. what's the, what is the journey? How far are we from mm-hmm. this? Mm-hmm. Right. And it, it's always way further than people want to give credit to it. Um, but you know, forget it. It doesn't really matter how far the journey is. We just got to agree on the gap and the and, sequence of the things we need to fix.
1: And Matt, when you say agree on the gap, what is that like? Visually, walk me through that. Are you in yep. my organization facilitating the conversation? You do it with your team. Come back and present. What's it look like? No, we,
2: we, we got to do it together because we oh. got to co-create and co-learn. We got we got to trip over the truth. So all great leading change is a discovery exercise, Mm -hmm. not only where we want to go. See, if I present it to you, you're going to tell me why I'm a donkey, right? If I build it with you, we're going to agree, right?
1: Is that part of the change management process? This is part of the buy-ins. This is ground zero, right?
2: Buys buying in from the leadership perspective, you're doing this over and over again right Mm -hmm. people tend to want to be the smartest person in the room and show you the answer and you know that doesn't really matter when you're leading change with teams if you know it but no one else knows it you great that and two bucks to get you a cup of coffee like not going anywhere
1: and so you get there so so we've we've as a group we've identified what the gap is we've gone through that we both agree your organization mine and let's say, uh, you know, go back to my security business. You have multiple layers. It's, it's national. A lot of frontline staff. That's probably one of the most complex organizations to go into to create change. What's next? How so we
2: strategically, help- we've determined the gap and yeah. we've sequenced the fixes, at least as best. There's a whole lot of tools you can use to, yeah. to, to get better, but you've sequenced the fixes. Okay. So now so I'm going to get first.
1: The first hurdle, the first priority is this and then second. and then Exactly.
2: First. Yeah. And, and that's a whole, that's a scoping issue pretty consistently. People uh, scope things too big. They make them too ambiguous. So the the thing is to really cut it down into chunks. So I need to take the macro gap of where I want to be in the long term and get it down to a very solid 90 day plan of what I'm going to do in the business, on the business and from a resource standpoint. And I I generally hate the way people talk about in and on the business. Mm -hmm. Uh, People tell me when they're doing sales, they're working on the business. They tell me when they're doing strategy, they're working on the business. Mm -hmm. No, you're not. When you're doing sales, you're working in the business selling more, right? If Mm -hmm. you're going to change form, fit, or function of an area of your business, you're working on the business. Mm -hmm. So, if I'm going to change the sales process, I'm working on the business. Right. When you're working on the business, think of it as a home renovation. Yeah. Between 1% and 99% done, it's all cost and no value.
3: Right, right.
2: Right? It's It's just an unfinished project. So... On the business, you can only really do one of them every 90 days, but you still have to move the organization. So there's a whole bunch of band-aids you're going to put on it, and there's a whole bunch of resources you're going to lean on to hold some stuff together, right? Mm-hmm. Those are, that, that's what it is to run a company. But we're going to say, hey, I'm going to hold this together while I systemically fix this area, sales process, right. marketing right. process, HR process, something.
1: So that just means I'm going to continue with my sales. That can't stop. But as we do that, we're spending time changing the process.
2: I'm going to change this process over here so that it functions faster, better with less resources.
1: So, so then what, Matt? Uh, so, so let's just say we're say, changing the sales process. We've got salespeople across the country. We've, you know, identified what the gaps are. We've identified the mic. You know, the, the, the we broke it down to the micro levels, um, and then. How, how do we push this out to the salespeople themselves?
2: Well, the salespeople are better be building that with you again. Right. So now it's the next layer, right? The leadership layer determines sales is the constraint. Mm-hmm. The new sales process now that we're going to build needs to be built by the people selling. Right. Right. Again, we're back to, you got to do it with them, not to them.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And, right? and how do you get them the message that, because you know, the old saying, which I hate, if it's not broken, don't fix it. I'm the salesperson. I think I, our process is fine. I actually helped build the last one. How dare yeah, you come in and tell me that we need to to fix it? How do you get that message? How do you get buy-in at that level?
2: Yeah, I mean, this is at the core of leading change is creating a sense of urgency. Right. I got to I got to get people moving. So there's mm-hmm. a whole bunch of ways. Again, you're setting a gap, but you're setting a gap at a new level, right? And so, you know a really easy way to do this is to look at the variance between your reps. You got 20 reps across the country. My guess is you got two or three that are rocking it. You got two or three that, you know, are not thriving. You got a bunch in the middle, but you got high variance. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, start with, you don't need to show the names. Just start with the variance in high performer to low performer and go, Mm -hmm. how amazing would this organization be if everyone used the best practice everywhere and we're all performing at the top level?
1: So using data to convince me, hey, Ron, look, here's the yeah. data, you know? Yeah,
2: yeah. So you're, you use data. Data has to be the backup, mm-hmm. but data won't get you anywhere. You, you, you know, Vern, Vern Harnish is, is, is fond of saying, you know, people aren't logical, they're psychological. Right. So I've got yeah. to connect them to a story yep. that helps them understand. People don't move because you show them a 30-page data set. Right. But the story you create to create the sense of urgency has to be backed up by the data
4: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: Mm -hmm. because otherwise I'm just I'm uh, well I mean if you want positive change that is right there's a lot of people who use the tenets of leading change to do horrific things right Right. all of the most horrific things in human history have been built on a fraction of truth and then we've created a story and 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 I mean if you look at any of those instances you know you can get real dark in this one if you want leading change Mm -hmm. works for the positive and for the negative Mm
1: -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and so so you know, now we've identified that I've been involved in the process. We need to execute. You know, this is, this is, yeah. you, you know, there's got to be one of the biggest challenges uh, bottlenecks are you're going to hit bottlenecks personalities. How do you start the execution process? Well, this so, way to, to, to scale this process.
2: Yeah, I mean, so first in the execution, when you're making change, it's always good to use a word like a pilot or a skunk works team. And we're going to go try something. Right. So it, it lowers the barrier. And the other thing is,
1: and
3: risk,
2: you, the risk and and the way that you bring the risk down too is you never doing a cross change. If I've got 20 sales reps, I'm going to pilot the new change with three or four of them. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have all 20 build it, but three or four are going to execute on it. And what are we going to learn as soon as we go to execute on the theory of the new way?
3: Right. There's going to be,
2: we're going to learn why it's wrong. Yeah. Right. So if you do it with all 20, you're going to have 20 people saying this doesn't work, throw it away. I'm going to go back to my old habits. If you do it with three or four, you pilot and you say, we're going to learn. So now what happens is you've created the environment where learning is prioritized over the immediate execution, which allows you to execute at a higher level. Mm -hmm. It allows three or four people who are really, by the way, I go with the coalition of the willing here. Right, I go with the people who want to change, not with the people who are forced to. Yeah,
1: those who are running the pilot are saying, "Look, I, I, this needs to change." Right, yeah. I bought in. You're right,
2: exactly. So. I want to do it, and then you let their early stories and early results guide the rest of the change through the organization. Mm-hmm. And you mm-hmm. know, once you have eighty percent of the people on board, I now change the rules. Right, right, but but people, senior leaders get twenty percent on board and go, "Okay, that change is over. I'm going to the next one." Uh-uh. No, right. it's not. And mm-hmm. that's a huge problem for most senior leaders. What do you want to do? You, you, you're looking at the next squirrel, yeah. right? You, you want to fix the next problem. We don't fully finish this one.
1: That's right. Yeah. Right. So so once the pilot, let's just say it, it's got legs, we figured this out, it's working, boom, we need to move across the organization. now. now we have to go uh, vertical, horizontal, whatever the word is. <laughs> sure.
2: Yeah. I mean, at, at this point, you're going bit by bit. So here's what I do. I take the new process and the way it's working and I bring it to a new area and Mm -hmm. we flow the process out and they tell me why it won't work for them.
3: There's going to
1: be new challenges, new area, new people, new customers, new challenges.
2: Sure. And and what you find out is they're like, it'll never work for me because of some sort of unique part that you just put up there. And then if you force them to do it, that's what they'll stick to. If you bring the new process and say, can you make this better for me? And they get their mitts on it. And they go, well, I would do this a little differently and this a little differently. What you have now is a better process for the second group mm-hmm. and the first group learns from it and off you go. Right. right. And so what you're doing is not, you're not just transferring the best practice. You're actually making the best practice better as mm-hmm. you move it across the organization. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's, 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 it's systematic. It's not, you, you can't do this in an ad hoc way. Hey, Bob's doing a good job selling. Let's get Bob to teach everybody.
1: So this yeah. converts the skeptics to, so I'm not a skeptic, you're asking for my help now. That's to correct. This and make it better, right? Yeah,
2: and you're yeah. always going to deal with the no-nos. That's fine. Don't spend your time with them, right? Like anybody who's against a change we're working with, get, they get all of my smiles and none of my time.
4: Mm,
1: I love that. All my smiles, none of my time, yeah. Right,
2: because what, where do you want your energy to go? I want my mm. energy to go with people who are excited about the change and helping to remove roadblocks for them. I don't want to spend my time in debate with people- like, and what am I doing when I spend my time in debate? I'm telling everybody else this guy has a point.
3: Mm. Yeah, that's right. yeah.
2: Mm. I think yeah. I'm convincing people I'm not. I'm actually giving weight to his argument.
3: yeah and
1: and so so you know, there's an accountability. How do you make sure, what are some of the keys to make sure this is going to be smooth. Now I, I see this trend, I see where it's going. What are some of the key things to make sure that this is executed? People are accountable for the process because eventually, you know, maybe not everybody touched it, but we're going, this is the new, this is the new process. The new sales Yeah. Process.
2: So, you know, the, the, the key, if you're, if you're familiar with good daily management, you know, it's, it, it's all around a process that you go use you'll learn from. So do I have a way to get together every day or every week to make that process better? Mm-hmm. And if I don't, I won't get buy into that process. So what I need, the great organizations are working in the business executing on that new sales process and they're spending 15 minutes a day talking about why it's not working.
1: They're at, that is a topic, that's an agenda. Why? That's it's an not agenda
2: right. item. And yeah. you're saying, hey, I go out and I plan, I plan to make 38 calls today. I plan to have six meaningful conversations. I plan to convert X dollars. Mm-hmm. Great. Come back at the end of the day. What prevented you from having a perfect day?
1: And they will, go ahead. Well, do you drive accountability? So, so do you try to use the same data metrics? Everyone's making 10 calls. Come back to us after those 10. Is, is that helpful in the accountability piece? And then tell us what's not working.
2: Yeah. So here's the thing. Most people use metrics to prove. We use metrics to improve.
4: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: if you use metrics to prove I won't tell you the real score mm-hmm. right if you're going to use them to beat me I'm, I'm going to hide from you so right. you know how are you I don't th- this sort of hold people accountable uh, I, I believe people hold themselves accountable if you put the right system in place and process I don't the
1: right way you're providing it you know exactly
2: you, yeah. you stayed in tension Right? So you get people to state intention of what they plan to do that day, and then you help understand what got in their way. And in understanding what got in their way, you have a data set by which you can talk about removing roadblocks. Mm-hmm. Right? I'll give you a prime example of this. We're working with a, with a physiotherapy outfit, they had 28 therapists. Okay? And before we went in and looked at how they could get more out of their time, right? they were working at about 50% utilization. So, you know, in a service business, if you're only 50% value add work and the other 50% is running around doing stuff, that company's not making much money. No. Right? So we go in there and we get through some of, the, some of the, the stuff in the process and get rid of some of the waste and they're, they're clocking along at 70, 72%, which is a nice bump. And before this, they had complained about their computers, you know, offhand, it's slow, yada, yada. And, and of course, what does the owner think when you're complaining about your computer? God, another expense. Or you're thinking, stop whining. Like let's just yeah. let's get moving on. Well, they started realizing the computers were about 4 years old. It took a half hour to boot up. I'm making $100 an hour. I got 24 therapists losing a half hour every day. Mm. Now when I quantify this on what's getting in my way, how much are they losing every day? They're losing $1200 of billable time a day oh, yeah. waiting for the computer. Well, what do you think that business owners now doing about the computer complaint? Right. I can tell you what they did. BDC loaned the next day, yeah. bought the computers, got the half hour back. How long do you think it took her to pay that back?
1: Not long. Not long. And, you know, how, you know, how, do, you, how do you build a culture, Matt? Because two things. Once you guys leave, you're probably left. And I assume you want to sustain change there, yeah. right? Yeah. How, so let's start there. How do you, how do you leave my organization and, and hopefully... Uh, allow me to, to run the run point next time? Or the organization, not me, I should say. But, but how, do you, how, how do I keep a, and sustain a culture of change?
2: It, it, it's, a, it's a system. And so our job is to leave you so that you can do everything we've done between 18 and 36 months, right? And right. It's a system, there's a way in which you make strategic choice. That choice should be around understanding the gap in the organization you're gonna fix. Then I need to fix it. There's a bunch of good toolkits. You've, mm-hmm. you've heard all the the buzzword crap, but let's call it advanced problem solving, yep. right? So there are problem solving tools that you should probably have, and you need two or three people in your organization that are trained to facilitate right. improvement.
1: So keeping a trained facilitator, right? You, like we need to
2: train that, someone. Right. This journey starts with you being able to make good choice and you being able to execute improvements once you've made the choice. Mm -hmm. In order Mm -hmm. to do that, you need a system for making choice and you need people who can facilitate improvement,
1: right? And then when you say facilitate, you're talking like, sorry, not the the facilitator, I understand, but then you also... For certain things, you'll need your, I think you talked about this before, but change agents. But those must change because some are passionate about this, not yeah. passionate about that. That must change. How do you identify Here's that? the
2: thing. Um, you, you've probably, I mean, no doubt you've heard of Lean Six Sigma and they, yeah. you know, they do advanced stats and bore you to tears and they, mm-hmm. you know, the zealots ruin every religion. Um, but the good ones um, understand how to use theory of constraints, the good principles of lean and good uh, statistical variation to make sure you fix the right problems. So you need to train those people. Now here's the thing, you never want the department of continuous improvement because it takes an inordinate amount of energy to facilitate and lead change. So what you want is to create that as part of your development. So any great young future leader in the organization, I wanna take them out and work on the business for two years. I want them to facilitate and work on. Mm. Guess what I'm gonna get when I get that? I'm gonna get a series of improvements done, somewhere between four and six improvements done a year that are going to bring a return to the business. Yep. And guess what I'm going to find out? Can they lead? Because if you're facilitating improvement, what do you need to do? You need to lead without authority.
3: Yeah.
2: Right. So you're going to, you're, you make it a training ground. So instead of taking a young talent and promoting them to manager and watching them fail, you actually move them to improvement and you get a look at whether they can do it or not. If they can't mm. do it, no skin, you get some improvements, you send them back to, to being a salesperson and off you go. So if you, if you want to bake this in, you bake it into the organization as part of the development of anybody coming through.
1: Interesting. So, so, and when you say development, are you talking like onboarding or not?
2: So I, I love using this in onboarding because they see stuff you don't. So mm-hmm. what I love is in the first three to six months, I love talking to an individual saying, what do you see around here that we do? That is just crazy.
1: Was it, wasn't it, Matt, was it Toyota? that used to have this red box. You would, they would hire a manager, they're in the facility, and they put them in that red box, and, and this is you know me storytelling, I'm sure, but I think they were there for a week, and if they couldn't find five problems, they were gone, or something like that.
2: Well, so every new manager that gets hired at Toyota to move into a management role yep. has got to go to their highest performing facility in Tokyo, yep. and has got to identify 100 plus improvements
3: oh, wow. in their
2: best place over the course of two days.
3: I love it. I love and it. And if
2: you can't, then what they know is you don't have that improvement mindset. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Because, if, if, listen, if you're going to live in a world of continuous improvement, you're going to have to see creative abrasion as a good thing. Yeah. What, what that means is you have to live with the idea that I'm as good as I am today, and that's okay, and every part of everything I'm doing is being done better by someone somewhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Most people live in good or bad. They can't live in good and could be better. Right. 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 That was yeah. Steve jobs was just amazing at that. That was his ethos. Right. Which is why, you know, you, even the, even the rounded corners on, on the laptop and why, like when you took off the back plate that no one could take off, it was beautifully designed because mm-hmm. he was continuously pushing and striving for 1% better.
1: But Steve also, and, and, you know, I really, took a page out of his book where he would go to the bottleneck. He would go to the problem and sit there himself, you know, and I think it sends the right message to your team. Uh, but he would really like, I'm sure he's quite OCD about it. He would just focus on that problem, really think about it. And then, and then, you know, essentially implement change from there.
2: Well, I mean, you bring up an important point on leadership. You, with all due respect, you may know where the constraint is in the organization, but you don't know how to fix it, even if you've mm-hmm. worked in there. That's the classic problem with entrepreneurs. They've done every job in the, in the organization, so they think they know every job better than everybody. Yeah. Well, you know, it, you need to go there. And here's, here's what you're going to, as a senior leader, you are going to show what's important to the organization by where you put your time, not by what you say.
4: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: That's a critical difference, where you put your time. Right. So where are you going?
1: And Matt, I'm going to rewind a little bit, but as you're going into organizations and especially you work with some larger companies, they have leaders that even through that process, don't buy in. They're just like, look, I've been here for 15 years. Forget it. You know, how do you deal with those that are just stuck? They're just stuck. They're not moving. Doesn't matter. We tried stories, backed up with data. We tried to get help. We tried to get them involved. They are just fighting and screaming. Are they gone? What? What? Well,
2: what a classic uh, no-no, right? And, and we talked on like? it on a bit earlier. You get once you get to eighty percent buy-in.
4: Yeah.
1: You
2: then get to change the rules of how we're going to operate here. And once you start to change the rules, what you get is you get that extra twenty percent, and you know ten percent go. Okay, I get it. The rules have changed. The other 10% are gone. I'm never going to change. Well, that's when you start your three conversations, right? Yeah, the first we're, we're one else, is, this yeah. is how we do it here. I, I think you should, uh, I, I think you should figure it out. The, yeah. the second one is quickly. Well, yeah, quickly. The, the second one is, you, do you know it's easier to get a job while you still have one?
3: So you're,
1: that's a tough conversation. Right.
2: And then the third one is you still haven't figured it out. Right, right. And, and that, but, but you, people have that conversation too early. Mm. See, here's the thing you've seen that you've seen the law diffusion of, of, of innovation or, you know, the, the histogram that shows change and what percent change with the innovators and the early adopters and the early majority and the late majority. Here's the thing. I, I can't tell the difference between a no, no, and an early majority in the first days of a change. Mm. And I really can't tell the difference between a late adopter and a no, no, or a laggard in the early days. And the mistake mm-hmm. I make is going hard at a late adopter. right? And, and turning them into a no-no, right? Mm-hmm. And the reason why I'll say this is so important is your late adopters are the ones that hold your organization together. They're holding the framework of what works together. right? So don't alienate them, they're gonna be the torchbearer.
1: And so how do you figure that out? How do you, how do you, you know, keep going, yeah. Matt?
2: It's it's day by day, right? right? So here's the thing: you 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 figure it out as you start to move the change across the organization and people mm-hmm. start to adopt it, right? The, yeah. the innovators will do it because they saw a squirrel and they want a new one, right? The the early adopters and the early majority are gonna look at it and go, seems like a good idea. Mm-hmm. I like that. The late adopters need to see proof. They right. don't care about your stories, they need to see that X equals Y, and that you're, you know, so you can get the first 50% on stories and a little data. The last bit, they're not moving till it works. Mm-hmm. So if mm-hmm. you haven't gotten more than 80% on board, you gotta ask yourself as a leader, is this really working? Like, do I have the results to justify? Sure, I can, I can change this, but is the change working? Is it giving right. me the results? And if it is, you won't have a problem getting that last 20, 30% on board.
1: You know, it's interesting, uh, and I've seen, I've uh, been to your seminars, which were awesome, and and had the pleasure of also uh, hearing your father speak, Merv. And one of the things that always stuck out to me is, and this was obviously deeply ingrained into Simplicity's culture, is we debrief everything. We, we, we even if we had the best day ever, the message I got was we're going to find something that we can improve. Yep. I don't care if it's as simple as the setup where the speaker were how we set up the tables. There's something that we need you know, kind of that Toyota methodology. Tell me more about that.
2: Well, so here's, here's the danger. If you, if you only look at good and bad Mm. and a day needs to be good or bad, but at the end of the day, there is no possibility. At least I haven't run into a perfect day yet. I've run into lots of days that have felt great and we've gotten the result, but I have not run into a perfect day. And so how can you learn how do you infuse learning in your organization? You talk openly about the things that don't go well. Yep. Now there's a balance there because the human brain remembers negative far more than positive. Mm. So you have to balance it out with a discussion of what went well. Right. You right. can't just talk about the stuff that you didn't like. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And, and the other thing to remember is don't solve problems in that meeting. You're just identifying gaps. And so here's the thing, Ron, either you're going to talk about it at the end of the day, or you're going to go home and talk to someone else about it.
1: Why not solve it there? Why not say, well, you know, okay, the problem was the, we should have tested the equipment in advance. Yep. And so the simple fix is, okay, add that to the list, check in advance. Why, why, not? why not? So take it, if it, if take it, it is
2: that simple, sure.
1: If, yeah. if it's a two second
2: conversation and everyone agrees, okay, then do it. But that is rare, by the way. Right. Right. It is rare. Normally someone goes, well, what about this? Or what about that? And as soon as you get into more than like with tired brains at four thirty or nah,
3: five 30, right.
2: th- that's not the time to solve complex problems.
1: Mm, interesting. It's the time yeah. to
2: identify them.
1: Right. Right. T- yeah, I like that. Now that brings into context. Everyone's tired. It's the end of the day. Yeah. It's not ideate. we We're not innovative. We've got no gas in the tank. Right. Yeah.
2: And, mm. and all you're doing is capturing. Cause what, what you need to do is before you act on something, when you act on something, you're committing minutes to it. What makes that problem the one we need to fix over the other 338?
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Why? Because we can? Because we know we can? Like, this is, this is the danger of the human brain, right? The human brain, when it's tired, likes to do either what it likes or what's passive and easy. Right. Don't let that brain make decisions of what you're going to do tomorrow and what you're going to fix.
1: But identify,
2: identify be like, absolutely. Because right. the, the other problem is that if you wait till the next morning, there's a thing called Ebbinghaus's curve. You will have lost about you know somewhere between forty and sixty percent of what happened yesterday. Right. So now That's I'm just arguing memories. about each other's shitty memories.
3: Right. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I uh, that 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 totally makes sense. Now, Matt, I know culture's critically important to you. When what was your aha moment? What was your aha where you said, "Wow, you know." I mean, everyone, I, I certainly do. Everyone seems to have this aha moment where it's like, wow, this should be, this is a very important part of growing this business. This is, you know, maybe we didn't think it was that important. I certainly had my entire, you know, I went on a, um, an up and down roller coaster ride of building culture. And, and you know, when was your aha moment? Like, Holy cow, we better get this right. This is a big part of our strategy.
2: Yeah. Um, it, you know, it, it, I, I wish I could say we started with it and we knew it from the beginning.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: We, we we really didn't. Um, and I will say that as a result, we hired a lot of very good people who didn't work out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we, we've been on uh, almost 0% voluntary attrition uh, over the last two and a half years now. So I'm going to say it was about three years ago where we got extremely intentional about building a culture inside simplicity Mm -hmm. and have you been watching the last dance with michael jordan
1: watched the whole thing loved it
2: like but what's amazing in that is that the nostalgia of the memories are decidedly different than the creation of those memories right 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 and so you got to decide what kind of culture you want to have. You know, are we a family or are we a high performing team? Right. Which one are we? Mm -hmm. And, and, and we have oscillated between those two cultures. We've, we've settled into where we want to be a longer term business that is focused more on being a family than a A performer, than a high per than than an organization that's going to build the bulls over and over and over again.
1: And why, why, why choose that
3: strategy?
2: Well, I don't think – I think you see what happens when you try to build the bulls. You have moments of greatness that can last for a period of time, but the combustion you create within yeah. that vortex yeah. is not sustainable over the long term.
1: You hear that at Amazon, right? You hear yeah. people say, I'm pulling my hair and I can't deal with it. And others like, this is what we signed up for. This is it. You know, this is, we are in the pressure cooker and that's the culture. You know,
2: Exactly. And, and what you'll see is some people – We'll thrive in that. But I, mm-hmm. but I also am not sure that as humans, it's healthy for us mm-hmm. to be in that forever. I, I don't mind experiencing it, but all the, all the uh, and, and this goes against high performance, which is, you know, I'm, we're fighting with this now, but we've decided, we've decided that we're going to move to whole person HR, that we aren't just looking at your mm-hmm. professional side, that we understand there are different points in your life. I mean, Ron, you just had your second child. I've got a young child. I mean, when my child came along, the professional burner had to be turned down for a bit.
3: Right. That's right.
2: And the personal one had to go up. So are you going to be an organization that decides they're going to take that into consideration? Mm. Or are you going to be a pressure cooker where performance at all costs is what you want?
1: What did you call that, Matt? Whole HR? What did, I love that.
2: Whole person HR.
1: Right. So as in, it's not just about you at work. It's about you at home, you as a partner, you as a community leader. I love that.
2: It's about you as a person, right? And, and, you know, Ron, we would know the models from EO, but, but really, you know, you know that we work in mental models for organizations, Mm -hmm. my work with EO and, you know, listening to in particular Warren Rustin talk about North Star, and then taking on the Japanese model of, of Ikagi and, and saying, you know, what is that for you? And then looking at the four perspectives of life when it comes to friend, family, and relationships, personal, professional, and community, and what is that for you? And we've, We've done that with almost all of our people now and said, you can share as much as you want with us. We can't Mm -hmm. force you to share, but the more you share, the more supportive we can be.
3: Mm, Right.
2: Right. And so So we've had people who have, you know, we're back
1: to intention, right?
2: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And you know, we've decided that we want to be a long-term business, Yeah, which, you know, requires us to be, you know, what's the trick to long term relationships, right? You, you actively have to forget, and you actively have to forgive. Yeah, because yeah. you're going to get to know people on a level that they they are their only thing they can do is fail. So either you treat failure with a certain empathy that we can get back up. Yeah. And with that growth mindset, or you decide to judge in moments mm-hmm. of failure.
1: So that must have been a tough mental pivot for you that was oh. probably like, let's go, go, go to Okay, hold on a sec here, you know? Yeah.
2: Yeah it, yeah, it is. Um, and, you know, I've tried to take, a, I've had to move from how fast do I want to go to how fast can we go?
1: And, you know, let me, let me go there for a sec. So, yeah. so how do you handle failure when it goes too far and you're taking this family approach, you know, because yeah. you've got compassion, empathy, you're worrying about me as a whole and my home life for six months has dragged down my productivity. You know, how do you deal with that?
2: I don't know that there is one sentence answer that satisfies this. I think every situation is different. Right. And you have to decide whether you're going to, you're going to rule by sort of policies or whether you're going to rule with sort of empathy and situational understanding. Right. And so, you know, what does at home not going well mean? Does it mean that I'm going through a divorce? Does it mean that I'm mentally in the dump? What what does that mean? And then, you know, unfortunately, once you decide on whole person, HR, you have to know more about people than Mm -hmm. you probably want to, to be honest. And then you have to be empathetic to it and you can't bring that up and use it in a nefarious or a negative way. Mm -hmm. Now you still have to get the output. So there's the fine balance as a leader. So how do we as a team get an output and hold space for us as individuals to you know, have burners that are increasingly or decreasingly available on a professional level. Mm-hmm. Now, aren't we going through it right now with this? Totally. I mean, I hear my daughter on the other side of the, on the other side of the door here, and I didn't lock it. She could very well walk in here in the next two minutes, and that right. wasn't a problem 12 weeks ago.
3: Right, right. Yeah, you, you're totally right.
4: Right.
1: You know, I was curious, you know, um, what your challenges today? You know, I was talking to someone the other day, and they asked me this question. I said, look, for us, one of my challenges, cultural challenges, was that I, as I'm building new organizations now, that I don't act as the culture police. Because you go through this stage where, as founder and CEO, these values really came from me. I'm the culture police, and people would say, oh, you know, so-and-so over there is misaligned. Here's what I've seen. So they come and identify things. And I've really tried to make the transition to say, everyone has to play a part here. We can't scale this if I'm the culture police officer. So we've been moving through that. What, what is your challenge with simplicity? What are the things that you're thinking about that, that you, you need to work on from a culture perspective?
2: You know, that's a great question because as we move from uh, an organizational design firm that uh, that you sort of hire to an equity engine, which is really the transition we're making, right? We have, we have equity interests in sign company, uh, a biotech company, Uh, an engineering firm. And increasingly we're taking, you know, majority control or full control on these organizations. And so we're not only, you know, driving a culture at simplicity, but we're also having to meet other cultures where they are and build those ones. So Mm -hmm. the biggest problem that I have encountered at simplicity is when we want more for a client than a client wants for themselves. Interesting. And we have to deal with that gap, um, in, in cultural desires, like it, 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 Jesus, it's hard. Right. Mm. And then the, the, probably the other biggest problem we faced for our eternity at Simplicity is we've actually built processes for other companies that are better than our processes. Right. And so how do you live with that, with that, with that binary of, geez, couldn't we just have that for us as like. Right. Yeah, but we couldn't just work on us constantly. We do have to bring revenue
3: in. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: that is really, it's really hard for individual people on the team to build a kick-ass HR process for a company and then come back to ours and it's not as mature or as good.
3: Right, right, right.
2: <laughs> and they have to live in that and we have to live in that, right? And that's good mm. and could be better world. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's not easy to get over, especially when you're first with simplicity. Mm. Because we know how to help people see what could be. It doesn't mean we are all of that internally. We have our right. own struggles. We have our That's own right. processes to fix.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And look, I want to finish with, because you talked about equity stake, and I know you've done some acquisitions too. You have you know, set values. This company may or may not. It certainly has a culture, whether identified or not. What do you do? Do they adapt your values because you've got majority? How do you deal with that?
2: So we have a we have a certain number of non-negotiables, and normally we will if we're if we're going into partnership with the previous owners, we will do an engagement beforehand because you don't learn about people's values by what they say, you learn about them by what they do, and yep. so you know over a three to six to twelve month engagement we'll learn about them. Uh, if we're buying the company, then we do a very robust. Uh, uh, due diligence beforehand. Most due diligence is involved with financial due diligence. Some good ones also look at a customer, uh, a customer um, Rolodex. Yeah. We will go a step deeper and look at process capability and then look at the the HR practices and then look at the leadership capability.
1: And the cultural foundation, what is the,
4: right?
2: Exactly. And, and you know, we will then ensure that any, and we've only had to have a few exits. Uh, you know, I do believe that you give people the opportunity to come around to this. Mm-hmm. I mean, if if you're not familiar with the story of Toyota taking over the Numi plant, they they basically took one of the worst performing plants for another auto dealership and turned it into the highest performing Toyota plant with only two people leaving.
1: With oh, that's I was just going to ask that question. Only two leaving. So what was the secret sauce there?
2: just, just a new culture opportunities. I mean, normally when we help transform organizations, you get that 15 year grizzled vet. And normally the answer isn't, I'm not doing it that way. Normally the thing is I've been trying to get someone to listen to me for 10 years.
1: Right. That's right. That's normally what you hear. Yeah. They're disgruntled about, about change they couldn't implement. You hear that from government employees all the time. Right.
2: Right. So after you get over the general fear of a new owner, You, you generally get some excitement if you do a couple of engagements early where you just really authentically listen. And I, you know, I told them early on, I said, listen, when we bought the sign company, I said, folks, I'm going to show you a picture of my grandfather and here's his sign. And here's how proud he is to have that sign. Right. I didn't become the majority shareholder of this sign company so that I could come in and tell you how to make signs. I don't know how to make signs. I just know what a great sign can do for a customer and what it did mm-hmm. for my grandfather. Great story. Right. Mm-hmm. And so with you, I want to build this. And so that disarms sort of this, who's this coconut who's going to tell me something.
1: It's back to intention. Exactly. Yeah.
2: And, and I do not want to be building signs. I'd be no good at that.
1: Mm-hmm. You're right.
2: right. But I do love the sign company mm-hmm. and the sign yeah. business.
1: Great, Matt, look, uh, I wanna thank you for your time and, and thank you for everything you and the organization does for the entrepreneur community. I think everybody would is is so appreciative of the time you guys put in and, and the effort uh, from not just you, but your entire team. So Appreciate thanks. It, Ron. Yeah, thanks for coming on, uh,
0: been, a, been a blast and we'll be in touch.
2: Awesome, thanks, Ron, see ya.
0: For more information on Matt Sims and everything related to scaling culture, please see the links in the show description. We'll be back next week with another incredible guest.